Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, Mike Mayashiro. Um, special guest today. I'll introduce her in a second, but before I do, I've got a fun story to tell you. My niece turned one last week at the recording of this, um, so she's a one-year-old now, which makes me feel older. <laughs> Yay. Um, but it was so funny to watch because my sister had a bunch of her friends come over to celebrate Fox's birthday, and so she got a bunch of stuffed animals specifically as birthday presents, and she we actually spent time, a bunch of us in a circle, just watching her open presents that she's getting more expressive so she had this one moment where she's looking in a bag and there's a stuffed she got a lot of unicorns and her eyes like bulge and her mouth opened like she's about to i don't even know how to explain this in a way that you can understand without seeing my face <gasps> i can't do it i don't know how to explain that anyway she had this funny face and then as the stuffed animals continued to grow in number she like continued to try and like gather them to herself and at one point she had to like just hunch over trying to like mother hen all these stuffed animals but she can't talk so it's funny to watch her try and do this and at one point because she was hugging each of the stuffed animals as she went she would like lay her head against them and it would moan and awe and I'm like I think I'm gonna throw up this is crazy um and at one point she like gathered all of them as much as she could and just like laid on top of them she didn't know what else to do it was so funny it was a very it was a bizarre social experience for sure because it's just so new, I'm just not used to that, especially feeling this connected. But then watching her interact with these stuffed animals for, it was a good, like, 40 minutes. And we were just, like, thoroughly entertained. It was so much fun and adorable. And believe it or not, so they got a trampoline this last week. And I made a play date with Fox literally on my calendar. And it says, trampoline play date with Fox. <laughs> so I'm going to go play on the trampoline with Fox today. Anyway, um, you guys have got a special guest on the podcast today. Um... I'd like you guys to meet my friend Rachel McNew. Hi, guys. <laughs> yeah. She, um, Rachel and I met years ago. I don't know, like yeah. three, four years ago-ish? I feel like it's been longer, but maybe not. Really? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Probably. Maybe three or four, four yeah. years. Yeah. Um, I put it, I met Rachel because of a friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. I put a, an ad on, no, like a post on my Facebook saying, hey, I'm looking for some makeup artists in the area. And Rachel, did you chime in or did your mom my tag you? My mom got me connected. Yeah, her mom yeah. tagged her. And so Rachel reached out to me. We connected and... Got involved with business together and have been collaborating ever since. Um, and so, anyway, the reason I'm bringing Rachel on, though, is because Rachel's been on a journey. She's had a really <laughs> fun last several years. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so we were just catching up a few months ago, and the conversation was just so charged and interesting. And she just had such interesting things to share from a perspective that I don't have, like an ex from experiences I don't have, both as a woman, as a married woman, mm -hmm. um, all those things. So... I, it was so interesting, and I thought she had such valuable insight coming from a, like, I think a responsible process that I wanted her to be able to share some of these thoughts and experiences with you guys. So I want to give you a giant disclaimer before we get into this, not just about Rachel, but about interviews in general. I mentioned this on my last interview. I want to give people on my podcast an opportunity to express themselves and share their opinions and their experiences and their beliefs 
even if I don't agree with them, even if like that's not what I would say is true or whatever, I want them to have the space and the freedom to get to share that. And I want you guys to get to, as listeners, sift and sort through what do you hear from them that's valuable? Mm-hmm. What do you totally disagree with? What are you offended by? What do you love? It doesn't matter. I want you to get to work through that yourself. So I want you to know, giant disclaimer, I'm not going to try and censor or edit this. I want you guys just to hear from the other person. So today, to hear from Rachel, for her to get to just be herself. So I told her, hey, be you. You know what I mean? And if mm-hmm. people get offended or don't like it, I want them to get to work through that. I want this to be authentic, okay? So I want Rachel to get to be herself, and I want you guys to get to sort through that. So, um, yeah, I think that'll be fun. Uh, and Rachel, I think, is game, right? Um, when you I'm s- down. I'm <laughs> down. <laughs> okay, so first of all, why don't we start off with... Um, I just told them you had a fun last few years. Yes. Do you want to like interpret what that means and just kind of fill them in on whatever you feel comfortable sharing with like what the yeah. last few years have been for you? Uh, fun <laughs> as in a sarcastic fun. That's not a real fun. It's been, uh, that's not true. I guess I've had fun. If I look back, it's been kind of the craziest couple years I've had, but fun in the sense of like, it's been a life altering, changing journey personally of what I've gone through, what I've sifted through, what I've experienced. I love when you say that sifted through because that's the perfect way that I feel like I've looked through. Like when your whole life falls apart, you just have to step back and be like, what do I like about the way I lived? What do I want to change? What do, what have I learned? What's working? What's not working? What just kind of where you want to go. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to look at it and then move forward. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, first of all, you, you grew up Christian, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You got saved at a young age grew up in the church yeah I think I was 11 when I so became not, a Christian so young That's yeah my parents didn't become Christians till I was actually like five okay so I didn't I grew up in the church but not like they were going through there they were really young too my parents my mom had me when she was 19 so they were young became Christians and I was already five and then um their whole almost growing up and raising me journey was them learning and growing and healing and mm. all of that with that Christian you know Christian journey that you go through yeah. learning that so I was like the test subject and my brother <laughs> oh. came along. They were a little more settled into that journey, you know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, since then, most of my life has been in the church. My parents are in ministry. Um, they went into ministry when I was fairly young and have they were in, with Campus Crusade and then they did their own ministry. So I've just been in that whole journey. My dad's been in the church. He's pastored. He's done all the things so and your dad your parents are involved heavily in inner healing right yes, so they're like definitely inner healing, and they're not so. just interested like these guys are good at what they do yeah training I mean, all over the some place some of the best got, i have yeah. to say like <laughs> i i'm of course i'm biased but yeah. definitely that's what my dad and my my both my parents have poured their life into is mentorship inner healing um so i definitely grew up differently than a lot of kids because i'm used to that like you you dig into your stuff you look at it it's not scary it's not Like, that's a normal thing, so I think I freak people out a lot, but I'm so comfortable with (laughs) that. Like, feelings, talking through it, what's wrong, what's going on. Being honest. Being honest. Like, I'm not afraid to be very authentic and honest because that's that's how you deal with what's going on. You can't, my dad always said, like, you can't deal with something if you don't actually look at it and face it. So that's, like, my background is their whole journey of inner healing to then help other people with inner healing. So as a kid, you know, I'm watching all this and going through that and... Yeah, just yeah. kind of like a different sort of upbringing. But yeah, in the church, in different denominations, different like ministry people. So I have a very kind of broad experience with all of that. Did you, know? you do the youth group thing growing up? I did. Okay. I definitely did youth group. <laughs> My parents forced me because we moved to a different city and they knew I needed like good friends and people. So they forced me and dropped me off at youth group and I was so mad. <laughs> and then I ended up meeting like my best friend there and like 
I think I was like thir- 12 or 13 and then was there until about high school. I sort of backed out of it. Obviously, you like go do your own thing, but um, yeah, I was in youth group and all that. So I did all I did all that stuff. And when you say different denominations, what kind of denominations were, were um, these? I think my parents started at a Methodist church. The pastor was actually Methodist, but he was very kind of different than what we know of as Methodists, what they learned, and he was very unconventional, I would say, for the church that he was in, but that's where we started. We went to evangelical, non-denominational, like, uh, just kind of different. My dad was never as much about denominations as he was about the church community and the people, and they even did a church plant at one point, so I was a part of that with them, leading that very small church plant in our city, where my dad was, um, both my parents were leading it, and my dad taught a bunch, and very free form, like, he let other people teach. It was messy and crazy and all the, like, it was cool, though. It was one of my favorite experiences, mm-hmm. I have to say, as far as, like, church experience. It was so intimate, and I grew so much in that time. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And then Josh shows up at some point. Yeah, so Josh was, I met him in youth group, so um, I met him when I was, I guess, 12 or 13, and we were friends and in life and whatever, and then we ended up dating, breaking up got married when I was 23, I think, and I'm 30 now. You're 30? Uh, 30. Oh I just turned 30, God. like, a couple weeks ago. Wow. <laughs> Crazy town. Yeah, so I got married young, but that's, you know, what you do in yeah, the church. That's like, you can't move in or all those things, so, like, you kind of push the marriage mark a little bit faster, which is fine, but <laughs> <laughs> it has its things that you learn but yeah so we decided we were in Maryland at the time and we were moving to California and we decided let's get married because all our family's there it would be more convenient if we wanted to live together here we knew we wanted to get married and so we just decided let's do it and that was a crazy time in life because I was packing up my whole life that I knew I grew up over there to move across the country leave all my family and friends just getting married having a wedding it was so crazy it was a very stressful time in life but yeah we got married and why did you move to california my parents were moving out here for ministry for a job and i love california had visited actually had never been to reading but um always loved california my mom always said you belong in california so i was like why not i was ready for a change it just felt right and i'm very close with my family so i was like let's go for it let's just whatever and so then josh decided well i'll come too and we were just dating at the time I was still, like, living with my parents and stuff, and, yeah, so we decided to get married, and so that was why I get married. My first time living on my own is with my brand-new husband in a new city where I don't know anyone besides my parents, which I don't know what I was thinking at the time, (laughs) but, hey, you know, you learn and you learn. (laughs) I'm always up for a challenge, so I was like, okay, let's do this thing. So you moved to Reading the same year you got married? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, same time. And, okay, so then this is where the, the clouds start to, like, gather. You start hearing kind of rumbling in the distance? No, I would say, like, moving here was kind of, it was such a crazy time for me because I, I, it took me a while to get even used to writing and get comfortable with myself and that whole season of figuring out making friends and work and all that, um, and figuring out marriage and all those different things and, um, I don't, it's kind of weird to look back and say when was the moment where you felt like your marriage started to like fall apart and you can see it way in the beginning when you really look back like oh that was unhealthy or that was not good or we probably shouldn't have made that decision or whatever but your early 20s you don't really know and you don't really know yourself that early it takes 
people always said that stuff to me and I got so annoyed and I'd be like, whatever, you know, like I know what I'm doing. And now I look at 22 year olds getting married and I'm like, good luck. Like oh, fingers crossed no. because you just barely know yourself. Mm. You barely have figured out your own emotion. Not that it's not possible, but it's like, it's a big risk, you know, because you just have so much life to go through and to experience, mm. to de- determine who you are. And it sounds so cliche and cheesy now, but it's true. Like there's a lot, you change so much in your twenties and what happens in life people do different things with those defining moments you know what directions they choose to go you can't necessarily control so um i would say it was just a journey of uh changes there's also there's there's a lot of factors involved it's kind of one of those things you can't put it into one moment of 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 a marriage kind of like slowly breaking down there's a lot of pieces that are like personally that come together and so so at this point, the listeners actually don't know what happened yet. They don't know. You I know. The way you were leading into it is kind of weird. But I was like, okay, you just brought up Josh. Oh, no. Like, who's Josh? So. so jo- carry on. Go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and fill us in. As in moving forward, things started to, like, change. Yeah. They weren't, like, what you thought they were going to be. And obviously, I don't I have zero interest in exposing or uncovering any Some of it I don't them. feel comfortable with so just because it's out. Josh's D- yeah, personal totally. stuff. That so that's out. hard because there's dynamics that have to do with his yeah. personal life. That's not mine to share. Yeah. But um, they were big factors in in what happened. But I think what what you're trying to have the listeners know is as a Christian woman, I did get divorced and I went through that journey. So he, that's yeah. what you're wanting yeah, me yeah. to share. How so, old were you when you got divorced officially? Um, or we when separated you two years ago. Okay. And it was a journey for me to actually do that like divorce we're actually weren't officially divorced and except for uh, I guess this year March okay. March of this year okay. so it was a long journey it didn't happen quickly for me it wasn't like I just knew we we're supposed to get divorced whatever for me it was um well it's kind of funny I had a conversation with your sister Mika and she does like life coaching and yeah. all that so for whatever reason I knew things weren't great but I was in love with Josh like he was like my high school sweetheart there was no there it was almost like he could do no wrong and it was just like I loved him unconditionally which is what you do in marriage you but I didn't realize what codependency was at the time and that was a very big eye-opening thing that I was being so codependent that I was disappearing and I was not healthy and not okay to try to compensate for someone else and it wasn't even necessarily something he did or did or didn't ask me to do, but I was doing it. Mm. And there's a lot of those dynamics going on. Um, do you think that's unique to Rachel? Is that unique to women in relationships? It's very that- un- not unique to like it's very common, I guess I should say. Codependency, everyone does it. Mm. And I not just women, like no. people do it. Yeah, I think okay. women are more prone to it just because we tend to be more nurturers. So it's easier for us to like dip into codependency of like overtaking care of someone or entering into a space. Like, of, I'll go without, I'll sacrifice mm-hmm. in order to yeah, totally. Where you're denying yourself for someone else. I think we just are taught that in our culture, especially Christian culture. I think the women are put in that position, but men are a part of it too. It's this, they have their piece of codependency. It's a whole back and forth thing. And, um, it's typically like you see it a lot with, with couples that deal with like addiction and one person has addiction and the other and it, but not necessarily, it's just, that's an extreme kind of where you see it where they like make up for them all the time Mm. like well I'll help you or I'll save you or Mm. you know and you kind of pick up this slack for that unhealthy part in the relationship but you're not 
you're not being true to what you need and who you are and and that's where the disconnect really starts where you start to be like I'm not okay and I just ignored myself for so long and then you're just reactive and being unhealthy mm-hmm. it's this whole cycle so it was my my parents definitely approached me at one point and that's when it all started to kind of come around I had a lot of health issues going on that didn't make sense and like with your body with my body okay. I had a lot of physical I think when you emotionally ignore 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 your body starts to tell you like something's totally. wrong and so I started to have all these physical issues mm-hmm. and I, t- I can go be more workaholic and ignore stuff like that so I think my body was like hey I need you to listen and my parents approached me about something so I was really starting to like my marriage isn't great I know I'm unhappy but like I love him and I, we can figure this out and we kept talking about things and we would go through this cycle and my parents brought that up to me he's like I'm seeing this like cycle you go through and that it's getting shorter and shorter where you like talk about it and you're like I'm okay for a while and then you come back around and it was just getting shorter and shorter and shorter to like and my dad said they actually talked to both of us and we're like this is gonna combust at some point like you're not gonna it's not gonna work after a while and so we kept trying and trying and um just different decisions that I've like he didn't make or you know things like that that I felt like would have been crucial to changing some of the things you know but we had difference of opinion of what needed to happen or what was healthy for either one of us to do to work on the marriage and you can't make someone do something that they're not comfortable with and that's okay there's nothing wrong with someone being different than you and making a different decision it's just really painful when to be you feel like they're choosing that over your marriage or things like that and Um, so we were just very different people and the journey that we were willing to go on was different and that's okay, but it was also very painful. And so I had to make the decision at some point to make a a big change and nothing was changing. And I went into uh, counseling and I got a therapist and she opened my eyes to codependency and just how much was swirling and I couldn't even think straight most of the time. And I met with her once a week for months to help me with this because I felt so... I felt like I wasn't allowed to do that. Like, even separating from him felt like I was this terrible human. Like, how could I do this, you Why know? Why did you feel that way? Because uh, being a Christian, like, you don't get divorced. And I was that person that I was like, I'll never get divorced. I don't know how people do that. You know, like, I had all these judgments growing up yeah. because I never wanted to get divorced. You don't get married expecting to get divorced, obviously. But I really thought, I was like, I, I, this will never happen to me. You know, I will do whatever I have to do. And that's true. I will. But you can't control what someone else will do mm-hmm. in a marriage. That's the risk with love. You can't control the other person. You just choose to love them anyway. And so that's where the codependency came in. I tried to control and fix it and, like, do the whole thing. But that's not possible and it's not real love. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to really honor myself and what I needed and what was healthy for me even if no one else understood it no one accepted it everyone thought it was bad and I didn't even have people telling me that they didn't accept it like my parents were very supportive which that was hard for me too with my parents being in ministry in the church I was thinking back to all the people back at home like oh my gosh they're gonna be like what the heck and I don't want to disgrace my parents and all these things and just the drama piece of it I just felt so I don't know like it was inappropriate 
it's inappropriate to do what you need because it goes against the things that you were taught growing up. Like, divorce is the ultimate sin, in a sense. Like, you know? And that's not true. And so going through counseling, I really pieced through how much codependency I had. And I had to pull away all the beliefs that I was, like, taught. I really, even with God, I was like, what do I believe about God? It, it got to the point where I pulled so far back because I felt like I needed the space to choose what my relationship with God was, what my beliefs about divorce versus were. Versus what? Versus my parents, versus the church, versus all friends that I had growing up in church. I had to pull away from their beliefs because they had their own. When you're going through this, everyone wants to give you advice. their advice and tell you all the testimonies of how these marriages were saved. And you're, they have no <laughs> idea the deep pain that you're going through. They have no concept of it if they've never been divorced. So... I just had to be like, this is not helpful for me. <laughs> and like, thank goodness for my counselor because she, I would come to her every week just like, ah, and she'd help me land the plane and calm down and be like, okay, this is what I need. And really most of it was just her helping me be okay choosing what I needed, whatever that was, no matter what anyone said. And that's a pretty powerful thing to get a hold of as a person it's it's something we all have to practice our whole lives but to learn how to choose well first of all to even see it have the self-awareness to say this is what I need and put everything else aside because I had all these excuses that I was almost afraid to even admit that I wanted to separate from him and move apart like I felt like was that your idea it, it was. I felt like that's what I needed. She got me to that, and I felt like I just need space. I just need to be, I need to pull away from this, and I need my own space to, like, heal, figure this out. It doesn't mean we have to get divorced, but this is the only thing that I can think to do at this point for what I need. This is what I want and what I need, and um, so we did. We separated, um, and then I just kept going through counseling. We kept trying to kind of we would talk and then we would like kind of give each other space. We never went to counseling oh. together. That was not something he was comfortable with at some point because he was on his own journey. So we never ended up doing that. Um, and that's the thing with counseling. People have, that's another thing that people have their opinions of. Like, you only go to a counselor if you're crazy or you're a psychopath. Or it's like, <laughs> no, it's just a neutral person to, to talk through and help you sift through because all the people in our lives have an agenda and have a bias right. and their own experiences. Yeah. And so. You know, I couldn't control his opinions of counseling either if he did or didn't want to go do that. And that was his choice. And that was the thing I had to learn too is like he gets to make his choices. I get to make mine. It's just sometimes other people's choices are very painful when you've made certain commitments and things like that. So I had to just put it all, like get rid of all the conditioning I had from church and youth group and the things that I had been taught. It's like programmed into your brain and you don't even realize it and you're making decisions out of it and it's not even what you want. It's just this programming that you've been told and then there's shame that comes in where you feel, I mean, I would tell my counselor, I'm like, it's not like he abuses me or hits me. Like I felt like there was always something worse. Or cheats on you. Or cheated on me. Yeah, something like that. I always felt like, I wasn't justified for what I needed because it wasn't that bad, which we do in so many things. We always compare our grief or our trauma or different things with other people, but it is that bad to you. And so, and it doesn't matter at the end of the day because if it's something you need and you're not healthy and you're not okay, then you need to do what you have to do to figure out how to get there. And let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple things I want to throw in here. But, yeah. Um, 
one question I'm having with that is when you talk about what you need, mm -hmm. right? And I think I'm trying to just play a de not devil's advocate, but like yeah, represent no. some of what people listening awesome. might be thinking or feeling, whatever. Totally. Um, when you talk about what you need in a marriage or relationship or situation or whatever, right. how do you know? How do you know the difference between Rachel actually needs this versus mm -hmm. this feels easier? This mm -hmm. is like something I get to have an advantage of or right. I have an agenda here. Who cares right. what's right or wrong? Uh -huh. I want this for my own whatever. Right. Versus oh in spite of my conditioning or my programming or my right. morality, this won't go away. This is important. Rachel needs this, right? right. How do you know the difference between, do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, like those totally. two different things? Because I didn't trust that for a long the, time. The Rachel right. needs this Rachel thing versus. Rachel actually needs this yeah. or I'm just psycho or selfish <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, or maybe you you're. Know, all these things. Because yeah. I think I, people can think if they, I think if they've never been through this, it's easy to be right. like, well, you just didn't try hard enough. Totally, that's what I judge people right? for. Yeah, right. You like, look at those people. How could you just not try harder? You can totally figure it out. People but are pushovers. They're just like uh -huh. they're selfish. They just give up too easily or whatever, right? And it's like yeah. okay, that's easy to say until until you go through you're it. You're in it, yeah. and all of a sudden you're like, well, dang. It's not even that this is hard. It's like I would be inauthentic and violating myself to not right potentially right. right. I mean, I've never been to do that, so I'm just like assuming. Yeah, um, I would say that was a journey through counseling was piecing that apart and admitting. I think. If you really look inward and you deal with your own, I mean, you can get really deep and talk about childhood wounds and all those things that you can look at. I know some of that is totally like way deep for a lot of people, but I feel like if you actually are self-aware and you know yourself and you trust yourself at a deep level, and you trust that mm -hmm. you are a good person with good intentions and you love people and you're not if you believe all those bad insecurity things about yourself and that you're sinful and you're terrible and you can't trust your decision making you can't trust mm. your heart then then yeah you're gonna think you're just a piece of crap that wants to just have an easier life but people that go through divorce know that it's the worst thing that you would never want to wish on someone so mm. it's not something that's easier in my opinion i mean i guess it could be easier i don't know some people's situations like with abuse or different things like there are lots there, of variables. There's, yeah. so, there's so many variables, and there's what I, one major thing I learned is there is no black and white in relationship, and people think that with mm. marriage, with relationships. There's this black and white. You're married or you're not. Like, It's not that. People are not that simple. So, um, But I think I had to learn to trust who I was as a person, and my counselor worked with me for a long time, and she's like, I've watched you. I know who you are. You are a kind, compassionate person. You think about other people. You're not being selfish. You're not doing this because you don't care about him. You're doing this, be like, it took, that's why it took me two years to even make it official, because I was so tormented by how he felt and what I, what was best for him and all those things, and so I think it's coming, it's a journey of understanding yourself, and being confident in who you actually are and your actual heart and your intentions. If you're not connected with that and you don't actually know who God made you to be and what's true about you, then you won't, you're going to believe all the other, you're going to believe the lies and the insecurities and the stuff that comes in your head and think whatever. But also I think having people in your life to tell you, you are kind of being a little like maybe you should, you know, some people can be a little on the selfish side or they can be making impulsive decisions. So I think having people in your life that you can reflect that off of, that was huge for me. You feel like you had that, the accountability, totally. right? I think it was and one of my best friends was with me through that whole journey and she'd been through a lot of similar things and we connected. So she would 
And she's kind of like you, devil's advocate. She'll give me both sides. So I always knew she would give me, yeah. well, what about this? What about this? And I could be like, okay, let me really think through this. And um, my counselor, like having those mm-hmm. things, like having things that people that you trust to say, like, am I just being a total, like, jerk right now? <laughs> nice. Or <laughs> I'm censoring myself. Okay. <laughs> <Bravo>. <laughs> or, like, is this... Do I really need this? And my journey personally, it took me so long to accept that that's what I needed. I was so ashamed that to admit, like, I don't, I'm not happy. This isn't what I need anymore. But on the flip side, I loved him so much and I didn't want to do it. So it's like, it was this weird dynamic the whole time mm-hmm. of like figuring it out, like knowing what I, I knew what I needed. I was just, it was a journey of me believing that it was okay to do that and that God still loved me and I wasn't a terrible person and I wasn't just selfish and you know awful like it that was the journey for me was believing that like it's okay to do what I need to do and that marriage isn't like the end-all be-all and God's actually bigger than that what you know bigger than if you get divorced and bigger than if you like you know like I just felt like that's what I had to realize is like God's way bigger than divorce and in my mind growing up in the Christian world that was one of those things that's just like no you don't do that but like God's way bigger than that he's not concerned he's more concerned about who you are does he want divorce no but I get why because it's life altering it's heartbreaking it it breaks you into pieces that's why God doesn't want you to do it not because he's just like don't get divorced this is my role it's not about that it's about him caring about us not going through pain like that you know so I think I realized why God said some of these things and why it's so important but it's not about like you're a bad person and God just wants you to follow these rules like he can still be like it's okay you can get divorced and it's still okay you know so so almost you mean you're saying it's almost like nothing can separate you separate you from the love of God yeah that kind of thing (laughs) like they say you know like it's like no demons or angels or hide or death even divorce (laughs) no divorce could separate you from love of God nice Okay, I have a couple other questions. I don't know that I'm gonna get to all of them because we have to move on, uh-huh. but one thing I do wanna ask you about in this process is, as you've had to sort through your own personal journey uh-huh. of the pain and things you're having to deal with and things you don't have control over and things you're responsible for and all those things, um, it sounds like there was this process where you got to divorce from ideologies mm-hmm. that Rachel totally. didn't actually understand or, yeah, like you didn't, um, you weren't upholding them because you valued them. You upheld them because you valued acceptance from other people. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, Can I you think speak to that I think bit? it was a mixture of that. I think mm-hmm. I had to pull away, and I thought I didn't agree with a lot of stuff that's pretty common, pretty common ideology in the church and different things like that. And I had to pull away. And I there was a time there where I wasn't really sure. I was like, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if you really need to like wait to move in or wait to have sex or all these things. Like I don't know how I feel about that anymore because I was so angry of like I did all the right things Mm. I didn't have sex till I got married we didn't move in like I did all the right things and I still got divorced that's what really messed me up and I was Mm. so angry like I followed all the rules I was going to church I was doing all the things and so there was there some party that felt like you were set up for failure by the church yeah I was pissed I was like I did all the right things you were mad at a person you were mad at I was mad at the church I was mad at God I was mad at all these things that I listened to and I performed and behaved properly and I'm still here in pain Mm. and so I had to pull me personally I just you kind of have a pendulum swing where I just pulled so far away from that and it's not like I was like 
I don't believe in God or screw the church. I wasn't like that. I just was not sure where I stood. And so as I healed and grieved and slowly worked through, I was like, oh, I think I do still feel like this moral thing is how I, this is where I stand on this. And I still think this is the best option to X, Y, Z. Like I definitely went back to a lot of things that I originally believed, but it was even different because I had chosen it because it felt, it's what I felt like was right. And I understood more why I feel like God asked us to do those things. And it wasn't just because this is how you be a good person and this is how you perform and this is what you're supposed to do. It was my, I owned it. It was my ownership of like, no, this is, I do believe this. I do think God wants you to do this for this reason and it makes sense. So I definitely had the pendulum swing of like, yeah, I'm not dealing with any of that. I didn't, couldn't even listen to like worship music. I, I didn't even want to go to church. I didn't even want to talk to people about Christian stuff. I was just like, I know I needed a good little like, because it just, and that's what's gotten, had gotten me through grief in the past. So it was really hard because that was the things that I would go to in grief and this, it almost felt like it wasn't helpful to me anymore. Mm. And so I had to really grapple with that with God and like, I was mad. I was mad at the church. I was mad at all the things. And, but when you grieve, if you actually look at it and you move forward and you don't stay in that pain and just anger and all that, you move past that, you can say, oh, okay, I, I do feel this way. I do want a relationship with God. I do, I'm okay with church, just I'm not okay with these dynamics or stuff like that. So you, you have more ownership of what you do and don't believe, mm. I would say. Nice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I have another question on this before we move on. And then yeah. we, I want to move on from the divorce thing, yeah. but, um, oh God, two things. I'll try and be fast. I know, <laughs> I can be long-winded. I like talk No, you're fine. This. I mean, um, let me see if I can... Um, I wanted to ask you about the, I don't know if it was a moment or this, the space mm-hmm. in, in the process. When did you realize Josh wasn't going to do whatever he needed him to do or he needed to do or whatever, uh-huh. and that it was going to be you to have to pull the trigger? Was that a moment or was there a, a part? Um, do you yeah. know what I mean? Actually, I, I do remember a moment when we were talking at the dining room table and I brought up the separation and I realized he's, he's, he would stay in this dynamic as miserable as as it is he would just stay in this you know no change not like he he would and like that's not he deserves more and i deserve more you know like we that's not a healthy way to live and so i did realize like i'm gonna have to be the one that does this and once we separated i even from that point on i knew like this is I'm going to make the call here. And and we did have a conversation months later after we had gone back and forth on things and sat down and we both agreed to the divorce. It wasn't like I just sent him papers or it was very amicable the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was things, you know, that happened that weren't great, but it's not like we were, could only talk through lawyers or things like that. It's honestly probably a weirdly amicable situation that not a lot of people have that kind of experience, but <clears throat> we, it wasn't that we, there was... The thing that confuses a lot of people and is crazy to them is there wasn't a lack of love. It wasn't that we didn't love each other anymore. And and that was the thing that you realize about marriage and just loving someone, like having that kind of feeling isn't always enough. You have to take ownership of your life. You have to deal with your issues. You have to choose certain things. You can love someone all day long, but if you don't take ownership over your inner healing, it doesn't, it can't work. So that was kind of crazy for me is I loved him. There was no shortage of that, but how you love someone and the choices you make are very critical to 
a marriage lasting or a relationship lasting. So, yeah. So it sounds like you're saying if you stayed in the relationship the way that it was, Mm -hmm. it would have deteriorated your well-being or your life? Oh, it already had. So I was already, it was already so bad Mm -hmm. that I was just like... I don't think I can keep. And then once I'm kind of that person, once I see something, I can't. You can't unsee it. I can't unsee it. Once I knew it, I was like, "How did I do this for so long?" I was right. almost mad at myself mm-hmm. and embarrassed that like I let it go on that long. Mm-hmm. And I, ju- it was like this blind spot in my life that I just was like, "How did I do this?" I was so embarrassed, you know. And that was a thing too, trusting myself. That was part of the journey of why, because I was like, if I could let that happen for that long, what else could I miss and not totally. see, you yeah. know? So I do this thing on my podcast. Every, it used to be like every episode and then it kind of became every once in a while uh-huh. where I take a moment and just have a, have a confession. Yeah. Like, you know what? I want to confess. <laughs> I've discovered this thing. I'm yeah. not proud of it. It's not awesome. Or maybe I didn't know this, but this I is true. I love confession. What, <laughs> what would you confess that you've learned about marriage or divorce or that whole arena in the church or in Christianity that you're like, I want to confess this. Hmm. Do you have something like that you'd want to throw out there? Oh my gosh. I don't know. That's such a loaded question. <laughs> okay, how about like this? Like a belief maybe that it, I'm sure, not yeah. common? Yeah, I used to have this and now I didn't. Now I don't. Or I didn't have this before and now I do have this. I believe this now. I don't know. Some of the things I don't even know if I'd want to say because I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I want to say. And I'm not sure if I will stay in Stick that place. That. Like yeah, I'm yeah. still okay. for sure working through things that okay. I'm like, I don't know that I, <laughs> some of the crazy things I feel are, I will say, okay, if you want me to say something, I still struggle with the sex topic of like waiting till we're going to talk about that. Let's I talk struggle about that in a second. With that. Not yet, not yet. Oh, God. <laughs> that okay, belief, let's talk like, about just... that, but um, before we get there, <laughs> hang on, there's one thing I want to ask about confess, this. If I confess, if I truly confess. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. But that, I don't know, some of my thoughts on that might change. change. Yeah. It's just so that I, this is where you're at in your journey. Right. Got it. So what I want to ask though is like, if you're talking to 15-year-old Christian girls growing yes. up and they're like starstruck about the marriage idea and finding uh-huh. Prince Charming and living their happy life after and all that, um, what would you say to them, not from a jaded or critical or whatever, but from like a responsible, motherly, like, hey, or big sister maybe, yeah. hey girls, you're not being told this part of the story, but this is important. Is there something you would say to them about marriage, about dynamics with their husband, about codependency? Mm-hmm. Obviously, I know you can get really detailed all that but maybe simplistic statements right. you'd want to make to them about that anything you'd say to them like if they're listening 30 years from now like yeah I mean I guess that marriage isn't the end goal in life you know it's not I think hmm. having intimacy and relationship you can have that in so many forms and marriage isn't the ultimate one you know it's a beautiful incredible like I want to be married again I I love marriage it's it's the one of the most beautiful connected intimate experiences but it's not the only one in life and you can have amazing friendships and I think people get so consumed by that they honestly if you put that energy into your friendships and your grandparents and your parent whatever that looks like for you and then if you find that person that it I hate saying cliche things that people always said but it's true it's worth waiting for that person that actually 100% accepts you and and you both make the same choices to commit to each other and be healthy in the dynamics. And there's no reason to push that and rush that, which is why I struggle with the like moving and sex thing. Um, people push it so fast. It's like they, because of those Christian standards, they feel like, oh, I need to do that. And then I can have kids and they can, I thought I'd have kids by now. I'm 30 years old and I don't. And, and I'm happy and I have a full life. Like it's not the only thing in life that makes you valuable makes you lovable, makes you successful. Successful. It's not a success moment. It's just a 
it's a part of life, but I think people do look at it as a defining moment because you get married and then you're married and you're almost depressed afterward because it's over and you're like, well, that okay, it's no, over what? now. And it's beautiful and it's amazing, but it's if you put too much on it and then it's over. <laughs> it's like, and it's also, it's very, very hard with the whole like, People think I'll get married and then we can have sex and then we can do all these things and it'll be so much easier and it's not. It's way harder and it actually opens you up for committing your life to someone in front of everyone that you love and respect. Is There's something spiritual and deep that happens that's different than just being girlfriend and boyfriend. Even if you've lived with someone and been with them for years, there's something completely different to committing your life to someone and it can't be taken lightly it should be taken extremely seriously and I felt like I did take it seriously but I had no concept until I was in marriage of how serious it truly is because getting out of it has been a whole big mess for me so just to let it happen the way that it needs to happen and don't rush it don't push it focus on yourself know yourself if you know yourself you're comfortable with yourself you're confident if at any point you lean on someone else to make you feel fulfilled or make you feel valuable as a human then it's Mm. not the right thing for you to do Mm. so wow because it should only be a partnership and like an addition to your life not marriage shouldn't be your life you know it's just a gift really is what it is if you get to have it you know it should be a gift yeah so nice okay that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. It's <laughs> fascinating. Um, okay, let's talk about the sex thing. I mean, obviously, there's the whole thing of you, you know, the whole wait until your marriage thing, married, right. like that you have an issue with. But I want to talk broader, just even uh-huh. the bigger picture of like how sex is treated in the church. And I know you mentioned when we last were chatting, or like a few conversations ago, yeah, like women or girls in the uh-huh. church and sexuality and whatever like right. there's a taboo there that you think is unique to the female gender versus like men getting away with more getting to talk about it more or no like what was your what were your thoughts um, on that not in that way but just that it's i never like how it's such a different topic for men and women and i don't know like if you ever experienced this in youth group or different things but they always like separate you and then females have this talk and the males have this it's always this taboo separate thing but yet we're supposed to do it together (laughs) all of a sudden men and women just come together and figure that out like it doesn't really make sense to me how it's so separated and still shameful in that way like you can't even have men and women talk about it in the same room like you know it's just kind of weird I never liked that with sexuality and I some of the things that I was taught in youth group were so damaging to me like what later in life um the whole shame tactics and how I have this visual from it took me a while to to unpack this it came back later in my life but they did this visual when they separated us and the girls were in this room we were talking about sex and they had a gift wrapped and then they like messed up the gift and then they were like can you you know you it once you tear up that paper you can't make it back together it can't be that pretty gift anymore and it was like so imprinted in my head that like once you do those things because it was supposed to be an analogy like sexually once you do those things you're tainted you're ruined and you can never put it back together and then you're this messed up ugly gift to give to your husband one day (laughs) but yet all of a sudden just because you've committed in marriage now all that's okay and now that's appropriate but yet we're raised thinking that sex is inappropriate and wrong and our urges are wrong Mm. for years and then in one day we're supposed to flip the switch and Mm. it doesn't work like that Mm. and i don't like that (laughs) i don't like that (laughs) would you say that affected your honeymoon or like 
when you and Josh got married and I would say it affected my confidence like you think because you have all these hormonal urges and you're so attracted to each other and you're holding off and all these things before you get married that you think it's just gonna happen naturally and feel very natural and it's not always the case and then you don't expect these insecurities that you have this dynamic it's a very intimate thing that you're now doing with someone that you've never done before and it's not it takes time and communication and love and acceptance and compassion it takes a lot of work sex is actually to be done well in a marriage is a lot of work a lot of communication and that's not very like we talked about that that's not very sexy like <laughs> a sexy way but it's like it is it makes it sexy if you can do that in a relationship so i think what do you mean by talk about it what are you talking about <laughs> well, there's practical things that need to happen to me. You mean like the way you're, you guys are experiencing each other? Yeah, like physically. To, okay. What makes someone feel good? Mm. How to get to the end point that you're hoping to get to <laughs> for each other. I don't know what's appropriate yeah, Right, to well, no, I mean, like, I think that's exactly what, I mean, I don't know that I'm like, well, let's hash about these details, but right. I'm like, it's what already right now so uncomfortable for you to talk about this, right? Like, yeah. where is that coming from? And I mean, I think obviously there's, propri- there's propriety and what? There's piety. Is that the word I want? I don't know. <laughs> there's piety and the there's um, decency or whatever. Yes, yes. So I'm not saying let's be like crass right, and perverse, right. but sexuality is supposed to be this beautiful totally. like, expression of love and connection that the Lord designed for us. And right. yet there's still such a taboo around the subject. And you're like, mm-hmm. man, it sounds like I remember you saying like you felt like you weren't set up for success to be no. married in this context because you never talked about those things and yeah. you never had any kind of education or guidance on right you know how that's supposed to go well there's so many topics that go along with it masturbating like exploring your sexuality at all prior to marriage there's all these things that are like i was taught in the church are so wrong and you don't do that and like but if you're never allowed to even explore your sexuality even like the concept of it not necessarily going to do something with someone but like learning about it anything how are you supposed to know what the heck to do when you get into that situation because I remember people even saying, don't read these books until right before you get married because you're just going to be so, like, and, oh my gosh, like, you're not going to be able to control yourself. And it's like, okay, but then you're so uneducated when you go into marriage and it's like, you're almost, like, uh, scared, like, I want to do the right thing. And it, if we just talked about it and, ex- like, taught people how to trust themselves and express their needs and express their sexuality, then it wouldn't be this thing that we have to hide and then all of a sudden, in one day, it's okay and you're supposed to be natural because it doesn't it doesn't work. If you're mm-hmm. programmed one way, you don't all of a sudden think, like, now I can do this and be totally free in my sexuality. People don't even know what that means. Specifically women, I think they don't really know what... I, I have friends that would get married and we grew up in the church together and they didn't even know if they had had an orgasm before or things like that and they didn't know how to express sex or what they needed or what they wanted and that's devastating to me you wait all this time my eyes are huge right now yeah you wait all this time and you don't even get to enjoy sex the way it's meant to be enjoyed because you have all this talk in the back of your head you don't even know what you like or you're not even comfortable with your body even just the anatomy of your body how it functions how it's meant to be like interacted with women just don't know because we are taught to stay so far away from that to keep men from stumbling or to keep ourselves from stumbling and so then all of a sudden we're supposed to be this like sexy sexual creature to our husbands and wear (laughs) lingerie and it's like 
what? It's terrifying, <laughs> you know? And, like, I feel like they don't have to do all that. Men just kind of show up and do their thing, you know? And it's just... And, it, and some of it practically is easier for men anatomy-wise. Like, women are very different. I think we're taught that we're supposed to be pleasured the same way that men are. That's a society thing that I've noticed. So we feel guilty that we don't physically react the way that they do as quickly or the same way or with the same sensation or the same visuals or all that kind of stuff. So it's, there's just a lack of education with women. So I want to ask when you got married, you did the dirty, that's what we're going to call it, right? Whatever. Was there any (laughs) point in your sexual experience as a married woman where Uh you felt shameful for having had sex or been sexual or did that, was that not really an issue? I don't think I've always been more comfortable sexually. Like, I've just always been more comfortable with that. I think just my personality and my, I don't know. Your sexual personality. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) I don't know. My parents weren't like crazy. They didn't like shut that down all the time. You know, I definitely wasn't like sharing everything with them, but they didn't really like shut me down where some parents are so weird. If you talk about anything, you know, um, I talked to a bunch of my friends just from our life experience growing up, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, did your parents talk to you about sex? Or when did you have this, the birds and the bees talk yeah. about it? Many of us never heard about sex from really? our parents. Like they didn't, they might make jokes here or there, right. but it was never like an intentional, sincere, guiding, uh-huh. instructional conversation right. where they were bequeathing wisdom to us or we never had those conversations. So, I mean, I think just right. as far as like growing up as a Christian in the church, like, yeah, uh-huh. this was a huge taboo subject. Totally. I mean, even just on the men's side of things, we were never taught about that stuff. Yeah. We didn't, they didn't talk. We learned about this from other people who probably should thing. not have been the ones influencing That's us. That's the problem. Yeah. That's for me with kids. And I, well, my parents, thankfully, my mom took me away and did this whole weekend. I forget what it was called. It was like a specific, um, she ordered this specific what? thing that teaches you how to talk Wait, to what your is kids. She, like a robot? No, it's like a, there's like. <laughs> what did she order? No, it's like, no, not like practically sex, oh. just to talk about, like how to talk to your kids about She ordered sex. like a kit or it's like a, a, week- a program or something? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Okay, like, I didn't, I was like, like, what did she order? like a little book curriculum and we like talked about it. I didn't mean a sex robot. No. I meant like a robot that came to like tell you about. <laughs> this is how it happens and I watched the robots. No, that's not what happened. No, more so, more so she just ex- like how to explain to your kid about sex, why you should wait, what it is, the terms you might hear kids say, what that means. Like, my mom explained a lot of that to me. How old were you when that happened? I don't even know. I was, like, maybe (laughs) early teens, like, pre-teens-ish, like, early teens, because she took me away just to, like, talk about it, just me and her. Okay, so you weren't shameful. No. But something It was was more of the youth group church dynamic than my parents, I would say. So when you got married and you're like, women in the church aren't being prepared for this. Mm-hmm. Like it's been this taboo, you know, we don't talk about it. It's dangerous right. or bad or something. And then all of a sudden it's supposed to flip a switch, right? I've heard women I know who are Christians raised in the church yeah. and they get married and all, yeah, they express the same mm-hmm. thing. Like all of a sudden we're supposed to feel fine about this. This is right. okay. This is like legal or whatever. Yeah. But before, like 48 hours ago, it would have been a dirty, Your, perverted yeah. thing that you're, you know, sinful thing or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, what would you say would be constructive for the youth as they're being brought up in a church culture? Mm-hmm. How can we prepare them to not get to their marriage, their wedding night, mm-hmm. and, you know, feel crazy or, like, split in their desire yeah. or, you know, and feel actually set for success and excited and they're not being yeah. shame or confusion or fear associated right. with the experience? Well, I think it starts, honestly, way before teens, way before you're even... I think it starts when kids, they talk about things, they ask things. 
it's like people lie or call it other things or don't educate them and say weird stuff about sex or all that and then I think it starts really young if you just from the get-go or it's not something crazy it's not something bad something something scary it's a natural beautiful part of a marriage so what's the solution when you've got youth pastors who've got like 12 year old boys <laughs> who just have a sex drive that won't quit yeah how do you when they hit that point in their life uh-huh. how do you continue to steward or pass not that you yeah. have the answer but I'm curious what you would say based yeah. on what you've processed how do you steward these guys and setting them up for success without them impregnating the whole youth group you know like I think creating <laughs> people Creating a safe space for people. No judgment. Judgment-free zone. So, like, like, by the time they get to puberty, they've already been able to process. Yeah, why can't you talk about, like, I think there's so many topics. Like, if you don't have Mm. anyone that you can actually go to Mm. and say, like, I looked at porn or something. You Mm. know, crazy. Like, you're just, and it's not crazy. That's something that a lot of kids now, they have phones, they have all this stuff. If you don't have a safe space or a safe person to share that completely judgment-free you're not trying to tell them they're a bad person or ridicule them or correct Mm. them you're like share with me what are you dealing with you're not a bad person you're normal it's normal to want to look at that it's normal to want to see that or feel that or whatever that's the space and then you can guide them to something healthier it's not I think it gets go so shut down like oh my god don't do that instead of talking about why you don't need to do it or why there's a healthier alternative or why the damage that it can do or I just think if you explain and people are more educated on it's not I think a lot of times in the church it can just be very much like you just don't do that you know how parents say to their kids you just listen to me because I'm your dad or I'm your mom but it's like why is that a thing like I don't know and then you just have these weird rules so I think if it was more conversational less judgment to say I'm having these, God made us to have sexual, a sex drive and it's natural and a safe space to explore that and it not be a shameful taboo thing that you hide away to then let unhealthy things fester, you know? So, because, I mean, someone looking, having a porn addiction can be the same as someone having a freaking, I don't know, like alcoholism. It's just something you use to feel better. And so if you can actually share that with people they can help you, you know, and I don't know. So yeah. it's just one of those things, I think, having safe spaces for people, okay. teaching kids how to share. So you're talking about shifting the culture and the yeah, atmosphere. Yeah, the whole the culture, relational dynamic of teaching people how to actually express their needs, talk about how they feel about something, ask questions. Like, that's what needs to happen, not just dictatorship and rulemaking and this is what the Bible says, so that's why you don't do it. Because a lot of adults don't even know why they do or don't follow rules. So I think you can't really teach kids that if you just blindly follow rules too, you know? Mm. You have to know why yeah. you do something and totally. why you believe in that. So Nice. Okay, I want to ask you. Yeah, love yeah. it. And I would say you've demonstrated throughout your life, as long as I've known you, a solid sense of ownership over your choices, your, mm-hmm. your mistakes, your, your messes, your successes. Like you've got a strong sense of ownership in mm-hmm. the process of being Rachel and showing up as Rachel, which I love about you. Um, have you always been that way? Were you taught to like show up like that, to take ownership for your piece and be willing to look at your inner world and your process and admit things mm-hmm. that you're not proud of? I remember you've, we've been just have been yeah. chatting here or there and you'll just like say something about your process that you're not mm-hmm. proud of. I'm like, Oh my God, that's like, I feel kind of self-conscious thing is she's willing like she just feels so comfortable to say that and I feel like I'm usually the guy who like uh-huh. brings that to the table you know so that's been something I've respected about you uh-huh. and appreciated is your comfortability with your willingness to explore and honestly like assess your own internal process mm-hmm. where'd that come from I do think it came from my parenting like my dad you with, yeah okay. teaching me like 
you know, he, you, you take ownership, you clean up your messes. You're not a bad person because you made a mess, but you know, and I remember even in church, like talking about that just when we came here to Reading. And so I learned more about that then too, as an adult, but I feel like my dad was always like, he definitely pushed me to take ownership of something and didn't always fix it for me. And I hated it because (laughs) sometimes you want your parents to help you when you do something wrong. You're like, I screwed up. It's like, fix it. What do I do? I'm uncomfortable. But but they really always were like, you, you gotta, you gotta go back and fix that. You gotta go, you know, Mm. do that. And so I think that's part of it is, and it's, it's, you're not a bad person because you make a mistake. It's just what you do with it. So I think they at a young age helped me, pushed me to fix my own, and it wasn't a shameful thing. So, you know, I think that's part of, part of it. Yeah. But I think too, my personality is just kind of like that as well, but they fostered that as I got older. Mm. I definitely have a more intense personality. So I don't know. Don't tell me what to do kind of personality. (laughs) You mean you're an eight? Yeah. Yeah, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. (laughs) There's that. (laughs) Okay. So I also want to ask you before we land this plane, when it comes to the codependency, which yes. I know, I think that's not a unique thing to women or men. It's mm-hmm. across the board. I've seen it a lot. I've personally experienced it, you know, here that you discover. I just had a chat with someone close to me this morning and this codependency thing came up and we're like, mm-hmm. what the heck? And um, they're like in tears, like processing through this in the, in the middle of a conversation, a meeting we're having. I'm like, yeah, that's weird. You know, they're just getting to like discover that. Yeah. Um, when it comes to codependency in marriage and you realizing like you had made all these adjustments to make space for your spouse bringing whatever dysfunction you were trying to like compensate for or whatever. Right. Um, how did you discover that you were in bed with the codependency thing? I, well, after... Because it's not the mom, biggest challenge. Like, it people is don't the biggest challenge. They don't it, right? know. Yeah. Uh, my mom brought it up. She called me out on it. I talked to my counselor. My counselor really showed me what it is because it's, it's almost like a mental disease that you have to realize you're doing and it's... I, and then I started reading books about it. And was there it's, a helpful book that you'd recommend? Yeah, Codependent No, no More. more. Okay. It's about, she's mostly talking to people with um, alcoholic like relationships, but still I think everyone should read that book because it's truly a mental thing that you, she calls it like a recovery, like almost like the codependency is its own addiction, its mm, own recovery wow. process that you kind of weave in and out Do you remember of. her, the name of the author? Oh, I don't, but if you look up Codependent it. No More, yeah. it'll come up. Yeah. She's got a lot of good books. So. Yeah. Um, Okay, so in that then, let's say you discover, oh my gosh, I've been codependent here. I've been enabling this behavior. Like, yeah. it's not just their dysfunction. I've been contributing to mm-hmm. what we've, you know, right? Because it's yeah. not just like your husband just made a mess. You no, enabled I was a, and I participated. Was a equal participant in, in right? that, yeah. And I think some people can easily just be like, well, you did this and it's your fault because you're the one who. Totally. But oftentimes we get to a place because we enabled and participated exactly. in the breakdown, right? Which obviously, being someone who takes ownership, you're able to see that and mm-hmm. accept it or whatever. Um, what would you say to someone if you would give advice to either a husband or a wife who are in a relationship where they are the codependent one or they're the one who has the dysfunction and their partner is enabling the behavior? Uh-huh. What would you say to them as far as like, how do they, what do they do? Like, is there hope for them to get to like salvage this or change totally. it? There's definitely hope. What, what would you say? I would honestly, personally, go find a counselor to talk to, to piece this out because you're not going to be able to see every piece of it go talk to someone and if they don't work for you find someone else until you find someone that can truly ha- has the skills to help you with that because not all counselors have the skill with codependency or marriage or whatever mm. but it on your own apart from your spouse chase after your own healing go talk to someone read all the resources you can listen to the well, podcast listen, and do the, what you the can. drive you're breathing bringing already yeah what if 
the one of the persons doesn't have that drive? What if they don't care enough? What would you say to them then? Why are they even married? You know, if you don't care, like that's the point. You know, if you choose to be in a marriage, then you're choosing to have to face your stuff so that you can be in a relationship with someone else. Like if you don't want that life, then don't be married. Don't be in relationship, you know, if mm. you don't care. Because that is being in relationship and marriage, you know. Yeah. If they don't have the drive, then stay in your your crap, you know. Alone, single. Yeah, just live in it. If okay. you want to live in your own stuff, then live in it. That's fine. That's their choice. They're allowed to. They don't have to have the drive. People don't have to fix their issues. That's their choice. If they want to, go for it. It's all available to you. But you also don't have to. People can live however they choose to live, and that's their business, you know. Yeah. So. So then, if what if they find stuff and they don't know what to do with it? What if they're like, oh, God, this is awful. I have no idea where to go. Like, mm -hmm. what if their counselor isn't the one, like, giving them answers, but, like, kind of helping them process? Mm -hmm. Like, what if they feel overwhelmed? Did you ever feel overwhelmed in your process? Yeah. And then what did you do? How did you, like, get past that point and keep moving forward versus just letting that become a dead end in that process for you? you know? I guess Cause I... Because, like, I think when I'm... When I've discovered codependency or whatever, uh -huh. and you can get to these places where it's dark. Right. You're alone. You're like, oh, my God, I have nowhere to go. And anywhere mm -hmm. I do go that's forward is completely foreign. The right. only thing I know is backward, right? Uh -huh. I don't know how to go forward without feeling out, out of control, right. right? Did you ever experience that? And thoughts on... Yeah, it's terrifying you... when you're in new territory and all that. I mean, some of that, like I said, is my personality and drive. I always keep moving forward. Um, so some of that is un not unique to me, but just part of my personality is moving forward. Um, I, I would say find someone, maybe a ministry that does inner healing or something like that. If there's something you can't get past mm. and a counselor can't help you, find there's some probably deep actual rooted issues that maybe you can't see that you need someone else to go in and help you do some inner healing with. And so we're talking about like spiritual power. Yeah, spiritual. Yeah, I, yeah. That was a whole part of it too was my spiritual journey. I would say people need to open themselves up to that as well, like what that looks like for them spiritually, physically, connect with your body. I mean, there's so many ways that you can get stuck in your emotions. You can get stuck in your head. Sometimes people need to maybe start doing something physical with their body to express themselves that way. Maybe they need to try a different, like, I don't know, go to, maybe if they don't go to church, go to church or find a small group or try a Bible study or do something different than what you've been doing. It might not work, but keep trying something. Mm. Cause you can, there's so many ways if you're overwhelmed, like just try something new. That was my thing is I just said, well, I'm going to try this. I've never done this before. <laughs> See if this works for me and helps me. There's something helpful and positive you can grasp from, Anything. If you're trying to grow and move forward, there's always something you can take away from anything you try. So it's just a matter of being brave enough and honoring yourself and loving yourself enough to do it. Take that step and say, I'm doing this for me, not even just to fix my marriage because I deserve love and I deserve to love myself too. So, you know, if you go from that place, it keeps you being willing to take the steps of trying something. But yeah, you're going to be uncomfortable. There's no way to get around that that's just a fact like you're going to be uncomfortable and you have to be comfortable with not knowing what you're doing and feeling uncomfortable <laughs> so <laughs> nice yeah all right we're about to land this thing yes so i want to give you a, a like a little soapbox moment piece of advice to either choose your audience singles who aren't married yet or married people uh -huh. what would you say to them like you guys this is true i know that your experience might be different but i'm yeah. telling you i've discovered this Anything you want to throw your I don't think way. I want to talk to singles because they probably, <laughs> okay. or people that are dating, they think they already got it all. Right, they they're not going to hear you anyway. That's not what happened to me because <laughs> I was that person. Okay. I would probably rather talk to married people that are okay. struggling or unsure of what to do or in this whole, like, okay. thing that, like, it's worth it to do whatever it is you need to do to 
get healthier, to love each other, to love yourself. Honestly, focusing on loving who you are as a person and trusting that that's not selfish. Find people that can confront you if it's turning into selfishness, but figure out who you are, love yourself. It's worth it, even if your marriage ends. It's worth finding that. It's worth, like, I would never give up what I've learned. Do I wish I was still married and didn't have to go through that? Of course, but I would never trade who I am today, the ground that I stand on, the person that I am, all that I have taken ownership of, I would never trade that. And so it's always worth pursuing that even if things fall apart that you don't want to lose. So I would say it's worth it to go after that if you're not healthy or happy or just pursue that. Pursue what makes you actually happy, (laughs) happiness. Nice. So Love it. Yeah. Nice. Rachel, thanks for being on today. Thanks for having thanks me for on. Thanks for being so candid and sharing. <laughs> I know some of this is obviously vulnerable and like can be touchy Hopefully or whatever. it's so, helpful. I mean, yeah, everyone's oh, situation is Oh my gosh, but... I'm not even married and I'm like, this is so helpful. Good. Yeah, <laughs> Good. for sure. Good. Thank you. Um, you guys, while uh, I'm about to close this thing, um, remember to like and comment and subscribe. And if you've got a five-star review for us, we'd love to have that if it's sincere. Um, and also, I just wanted to throw um, an announcement to you guys. I'm doing, um, I did a thing this last year called the Numa School of Reformation, where I taught every week. And we filmed and produced this whole thing. So the whole year got captured. It is quality content. It is stuff you probably aren't hearing taught. Um, in terms of like, when it comes to your spirituality and addressing day-to-day life, so your job, your relationships, your home life, whatever, we're going after talking about some of this nitty-gritty stuff. What does it look like to be spirit-filled, to be led by the Holy Spirit? And we're getting like into your soul. Like what does it look like inside and how can you grow in your intelligence there? That's the whole point of this school. So we filmed and produced the whole thing. We are onboarding students for this next year. We're starting in September. Um, People getting to register and go through this curriculum together on a weekly basis and having a, a facilitator every week as well outside of the course to work through and process and engage and put the, to practice the things that they're learning. Um, and there is a discount as people register earlier rather than later. So if that's something that you're interested in and you want to get involved and want to participate or even enroll with the Numa School of Reformation for 2020 to 2021, um, email us at contact at with NSR or Numa School of Reformation in the subject line. Um, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.